You're listening to Rates and Lanes with Rico Mohammed. This is the show where we improve your knowledge of the freight market, improve your bottom line, and improve the transportation industry as a whole. We're talking rates and lanes. Let's move on down the audio road. Good evening, everyone. Coming to you live from Forest Park, Georgia. This is Rico Mohammed with the Rates and Lanes podcast. And tonight, I'm very excited. I'm almost giddy. I have our special guest, Mr. Attorney Henry Seaton, will be joining us tonight to answer any and all of your questions about the transportation industry. Um, if you have any questions whatsoever for Mr. Seaton, I advise you to go ahead and jump on, jump, get just secure your spot online right now. Press number one so that we can get to you, so that you can ask your question directly to Mr. Seaton, so we can clear up any kind of lunch counter rumors or any kind of innuendo that you may have heard about different things in the transportation in the industry, now you have an opportunity to ask an uh, industry expert, an attorney, firsthand to get firsthand knowledge or to arm yourself with the different options that you may need that, you know, maybe arise down the road when dealing with the spot market or even uh, dealing with contract carriers, um, common carrier issues, anything that deals with transportation law. Mr. Seaton is more than willing to help us out tonight. So um, I want you to go ahead and press number one and get in line to ask your questions. We're going to start off tonight. I'm going to jump over and we're going to gloss over the, the DAT um, trend lines report really quickly because I don't want to take any time away from you and your questions for Mr. Seaton. Uh, so jumping into the trend lines for this week, we have uh, for September 7th through September the 13th that rates rose and load to truck ratios declined again last week. And three major in the three major equipment types, just as they did in the previous week, rates for vans and reefers again rose by four cents, and flatbed rates added one cent on a national average. The U.S. van demand shows that van freight availability rose nineteen percent and capacity climbed thirty one percent last week, yielding a thirty two three point two load-to-truck ratio nationwide, a 9.5% decline, about 20% to 25% of the increase in all load-board activity is expected because we are comparing a five-day week with a four-day week that included Labor Day. So the rate for the U.S. van for the week of September 7th through the 13th the national average rate rose four cents to two oh eight per mile in the second week of September, and rates remain elevated through most of this month. Moving over quickly to flatbed demand, load availability climbed eighteen percent for flatbeds last week, and capacity rose thirty three percent. But the resulting load to truck ratio declined eleven point five percent from thirty six loads to truck to 31.8 loads per truck. About 20% to 25% of the increase in all load board activity is expected because we are once again comparing a five-day week with a four-day week that included Labor Day. Moving over to flatbed rates really quickly. Flatbed rates rose another one cent last week to a national average of $2.45 per mile. Demand remains strong for flatbeds, and rates have been elevated since April. Moving quickly over to U.S. reefer demand. 
Reefer freight availability increased 15% last week, and capacity gained 28%, yielding a 9.9% decline in the load-to-truck ratio to 9.1. About 20% to 25% of the increase in all load-board activity is expected because, once again, comparing a five-day week with a four-day work week that included Labor Day. U.S. reefer rates show that the national average rate for reefers rose another four cents last week to $2.36 per mile. Rates gained strength in the upper Midwest due to produce harvest, but other markets are softer. That is a real quick gloss over on the DAT trend lines, and we'll touch on the USDA truck market report. Really quickly, I'll just go over the markets that are showing a shortage for trucks. On the produce side, we have uh, Southwest Indiana and Southeast Illinois showing a shortage. Upper Valley Twin Falls and Burley District, Idaho, showing a shortage. Idaho and Murray County, Oregon, showing shortages. Minnesota and North Dakota, showing shortages. Columbia Basin, Washington, and Yakima Valley, Washington, all showing shortages. And with that said... And no further ado, we kind of gloss through that really quickly. But I want to get to our special guest, Mr. Henry Seaton. Mr. Seaton, are you there? I am here, Rico. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Glad to have you on board tonight. And like I was saying in the opening, um, tonight, you know, it's kind of an open forum. We wanted to get get a chance to get you on here. And, and uh, over the past week, there's been a lot of activity I've been seeing on different message boards and, and on Facebook groups that we participate in uh, about different issues that people are having out here on the spot market. And I know from my previous conversations that we've had, um, the advice that you give us mainly to really insulate ourselves is to basically operate off of a rule circular, put our rule circular out there for any move that we may, that we may do. Um, you want, would you like to maybe expound on that a little bit more and give us a little more advice on that going forward? Well, I, I can cover it again. Um, the, uh, there are really uh, two basic types of ways, I guess, that uh, uh, the spot market works. Uh, uh, as as we know, many brokers will send over a multi-page contract that they'll tell the broker, he, uh, the carrier, he must sign in order to get the load. Uh, very typically, that multi-page contract has only a rate and no provision for detention or free time. Uh, and uh, at that point, it becomes in- incumbent that if the uh, small carrier doesn't have a rules tariff, that they can enforce, they at least have a one-page uh, assessorial sheet. And uh, I would say that sheet, you know, probably offers some standard free time. It's, I guess maybe two hours worth of free time is is more than generous and acceptable by a broker. And then provides that after two hours of free time with notice, there will be uh, detention uh, at a reasonable rate. Now, when you sign the contract, you have to send it back, uh, uh, marking it for accessorial C attached to be sure that's incorporated by reference so that you establish uh, that there are accessorial charges before you pick up the load. The same is true if there's not a long-page, multi-page contract uh, and just a load confirmation sheet 
or something that says origin destination rate that you uh, get to some kind of written incorporation of the accessorials because the first principle of uh, operating and billing is that uh, it's a contract matter. You have no mandatory right to uh, uh, to detention uh, or accessorial charges. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, I heard your uh, report tonight. Uh, things are getting better. Uh, uh, there are more loads than there are trucks, and you now have uh, the ability to negotiate uh, for those kinds of accessorials where before I think uh, uh, the uh, shippers and brokers had the high hand and simply uh, would say, uh, I can't fool with the accessorials, I'm going to give the load to somebody else. It's not a matter of what's right, it's often been a matter of just uh, uh, how bad the broker needed the load moved and how bad the carrier needed the load. But it does need to be reduced in, in writing, and it does need to be incorporated on the front end. Or then you have this unfortunate situation in which you're uh, relying upon the goodwill of the broker to uh, uh, to give you uh, detention money, uh, and um, that usually becomes a question of uh, of threats and pressure. Right, because usually once it gets to that. Um at least it's been my experience, they start to try to negotiate with you with an iron fist and, and they really uh, basically expect for you to take whatever they throw at you and, and be happy with it and, and not even question it. Well, yeah, and 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 the position then becomes, uh, as I think I mentioned on an earlier program, a, uh, a, a carrier does have a possessory lien on any good for payment of the charges, but if you don't have it in writing that they agree to pay the accessorials, you're really playing a game of, of standoff. And uh, you don't want to uh, lean up the load uh, to uh, uh, have the broker yell hijack at you and to uh, actually be delayed because you need to get the load off and go on about your, your business without having to uh, call in a lawyer or worry about uh, uh it becoming more of a problem than it is. But, uh, you know, that oftentimes uh, is just a question of uh, of, of, of stubbornness. Uh, and it, it doesn't make for good broker-carrier relationships. And, the, you know, a count of precaution is worth a pound of cure is the, is, is the best advice I can give you. Right. And uh, if you have any questions, I think we had a few questions, but I don't know if your call has dropped off or what's going on. But if you got a question for Mr. Seaton, Play and press number one. We get you in the queue. We got a ton of callers on the line tonight, uh, so go ahead and press number one, and you can ask your question firsthand to Mister Seaton. And just remember, guys, you know, um, a question not asked—that's that's a dumb question. I don't think that there's no such thing as a dumb question. So if you really got a, a burning, yearning question, now would be the perfect opportunity to get it out there. And with that said, uh, we're going to go to the caller in the eight oh six. I don't have my screen of the night, so we're just going in live. Caller calling in from the area code 806. You're on live with Rico and Mr. Seaton. Go ahead and ask your question. Um, yeah, I'm just curious as to the accessorials. Is Do they normally, because uh, I'm just starting as a, my own authority, is that normally provided by the broker, or is that something I need to produce to send back when I set up the contract, or how, how does that work, I guess is my question. 
Yeah, in, in increasingly, I think uh, uh, shippers are putting in their contracts uh, their accessorial terms. Uh, I see a lot of shipper contracts with brokers and with carriers, and increasingly they're making provision for it because it's it's become a problem, and the shipper doesn't want his product delayed. But I'd probably say uh, only 25% of the time does uh, uh, does the broker contract have any reference to accessorial. So you're going to need to uh, uh, be sure it's included. I would suggest that you know you have a standard uh, one-page addendum to uh, send back via the fax machine or whatever your means of communications are are included in the contract, and it needs say nothing more than you know. What is, is your reasonable free time after which uh, you want so much detention? And I see the detention sometimes presented as, as so much per hour not to exceed, you know, four or $500 a day. Uh, all of that is really negotiable, uh, and it, it's kind of what the traffic will bear. Uh, I have seen some brokers who try to say, you know, $35 an hour, which uh, is really not compensatory. So I, I don't want to get into the phone call on, uh, you know, trying to establish what what is uh, is reasonable detention, but I do think it's going to be incumbent upon you to negotiate on the front end. And you know, as you're in the business for a while, uh, you'll be able to uh, uh, recognize what are the, the the major offenders and what type of industries are liable to uh, to have you. Uh, 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 wait for delayed deliveries. So, uh, you know, there are some, there are some real real abuses. Uh, a lot of shippers will put into contracts that uh, uh, detention will only be paid after, you only call them after two hours, and then you'll negotiate whether or not detention is paid. So I'm seeing some brokers put in contracts that uh, no detention will be paid unless you call and don't call them for the first two hours, that kind of thing. Right, uh, right. Now, um, does that, that get your question answered there, Carla? Uh, yeah, for the most part. I mean, I was more, most of my contracts, that's what they do, say two hours, if, and then I have to call them or detention won't be paid. That's mostly what I've been seeing. Yeah, and, you know, I think it, I think it follows that... Uh, uh, you should definitely, regardless of whether you've got a provision in a contract or not, uh, be on your phone calling them uh, when the free time is exhausted because, uh, you know, usually when they know you're being detained and uh, delayed, uh, they'll make the call to try to expedite the unloading. Uh, you can't sit there for five hours and then call them and say, well, Bubba, you owe me an additional uh, 250 bucks. That's not going to work very well. Well, I, I got a scenario I want to throw at you real quick and see, and just, you know, tell me what you think about this scenario. And I'm, uh, callers, don't worry, I'm coming to you next. I just want to throw this quick scenario out at Mr. Seaton. Say, like, if you arrive at a shipper, or you, do, you do a spot market contract, you don't, you neglect it to do the uh, rule circular and the um, accessorial page like you just recommended. But you you arrive on the end, on your end, you uphold your end of the obligation being there on time, 
the shipper detains you, holds you up, and you have appointments on the, on the delivery side. But due, due to the shipper holding you up, throw you late for the appointment on the delivery side, and the uh, delivering side closes at a certain time, so now they reschedule the appointment for the following day. So now you're having to sit on this load. Say if you have a reefer load, you're having to sit on this load for an extra day on top of being detained on the front end. Um, how would that, what do you, you know, using that scenario, what advice would you give us on that? Well, I think that, first of all, I would, prior to closing, uh, get in writing to uh, uh, both the broker, the consignor, and the consignee, uh, if any way possible, uh, a statement that says, promise delivery time 4.30, uh, if held over uh, over a day. I will assert my lien and demand uh, 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 reasonable detention in the amount of you know five hundred dollars or whatever it is, and do everything I could to suggest to the broker that he needs to get the constantly to stay open uh, to uh, to get you unloaded to move heaven and earth or Houston we're going to have a problem. Uh, and I mean I think most of them will understand. That you know, if you're held over a day, you're going to move. You're going to miss a next load uh, with the hours of service requirement. Uh, it's uh, not going to become uh, uh, something that you can very easily eat. And you know that may very well be the time in which you uh, say, "Look, I'm going to have to assert my lien. You've breached your obligation to unload, and uh, you know find a cold storage house for this." Now you know whether. Uh, you know, whether or not uh, there's movement and you're put to the position that you have to put it in cold storage uh, uh, remains to be seen. But uh, I know uh, many of people that have, in fact, done that. And at that point, uh, uh, you know, you call somebody's bluff, you raise the ante, and the con- it probably won't be the first time the constantly has seen it. And you finding uh, finding a cold storage facility... When you put it in cold storage, you put it in as you being the bailey, and they can't get it out the bailor unless you approve. Uh, and uh, you know you may be precipitating a lawsuit here, but uh, uh, you know that's the, that's the period of time at which uh, uh, frequently I get the Friday afternoon calls on the East Coast when somebody's got a reefer load and uh, they're looking for uh, a legal letter to go to the consignee. But obviously, uh, you know, place closed for the weekend, uh, your your life is uh, your life is upset. So I, I would think you, you probably try to go uh, try to go legal and be sure that uh, you don't have a liar's contest on Monday morning. You made very clear that uh, you were there, you were available for unloading, that uh, uh, you didn't buy into uh, uh, having to wait over the weekend and that you are going to search your lien. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I think you have to look at, you have to look at your appetite for it. Uh, obviously, uh, uh, you're not giving your lawyer a lot if you haven't got uh, a, a written agreement, but uh, uh, I think, you know, you can say, uh, 
uh, hey, that's what this appointment was for. I accepted this this load based upon the fact that there was a guaranteed delivery time. It was deliver on Friday, and it was the result of the constant negligence that he didn't unload me on Friday because I was there. Now, you know, life can get really uh, easily very different if you've got a two o'clock appointment and you show up five minutes before or something. But the the old standard in uh, before we got just in time and everybody tried to micromanage their delivery receipts is that if you arrived during ordinary business hours uh, for a uh, a delivery, the constantly had an obligation to unload you. And uh, those okay. were back in the days when things were established by, by tariffs and everybody's tariffs were fairly consistent. Yes, sir. Let's go to uh, caller on the 214. You're online with Rico and Mr. Seaton. You have a question. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hello, Paul. Are you there? Caller on the 214 area code. Going once. Going twice. All right. We're going to jump over to the caller calling from the 605 area code. Rico, Rico, how you doing? I'm well. How you doing, Rico? Not bad. Not bad. My question. My, my, uh, pretty good. My question regarding putting it in cold storage or dry storage or whatever we want to term it. You have to be able to find one that's going to accept it. Who's responsible for the unloading and the storage fees while it's in uh, legalized limbo? Well, the warehouseman has a lien just like you have a lien. You have a lien for the load in your possession, but it's not going to get out of storage until somebody pays the lien. Uh, you, you, if you put it in a cold storage and you're the bailor, uh, it's not supposed to be released uh, until you say okay and pay the money. And, of course, at that point, uh, you know, you may be 600 miles down the road, uh, at which time you work out the arrangements with the constantine. The constantine makes arrangements to pay you, and you notify the warehouseman. Uh, to accept the constantine's money uh, and release the load. But uh, it, it, is, it is your responsibility, but the, the warehouse is ultimately going to uh, sell the product to salvage uh, if, uh, uh, if the storage isn't paid. And his position yeah. will trump your lien right. Yeah, because I ran into that one time down in Dallas, Texas, and they wanted, uh, you know, it was on a Friday afternoon, and I don't know if it was standard practice, but the warehouse said, well, we'll do it, but we charge $150 to unload the truck, and we'll charge you storage commensurate upon the day, and we need you to pay for the first month. And it's like, okay, at that point, I went back over and said, uh, you know, they, uh, I wasn't going to, you know, it got into a pissy match, and I decided it was better to play their game because I didn't want to get involved. And, you know, it's kind of, they called the bluff, and it's like the bluff wasn't big enough that I wanted to deal with it. That, well, that's, that's absolutely the situation you get into. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't want to say the storage is for free. Uh, no, it's because, not. You know, and sometimes you know, uh, $500. You can, if, you've got, if you've got, you know, if you've got if you've got you've got a load that's worth uh, you know uh, five thousand uh, five thousand dollars 
and you want to put it on storage and make a legal issue out of it over uh, uh, $400 worth of detention, you've got to realize you may be uh, uh, you may be making matters worse. Yeah, so you may get a thousand dollars to save a Yeah, that's that. I don't want to be flippant to tell you. Hey, if you got to stay over a weekend, you can just go find a warehouse and make things worse, and it'll all it'll all work out. Uh, because uh, uh, you know it's, it depends on usually when I get into it. Usually, uh, uh, my role is because the uh, uh, the trucker and the broker are yelling at each other to the point that nobody's hearing what's being said and any. Any 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 rationale or reasonability has been lost. Uh, both uh, both parties can very quickly turn uh, Johnny Redneck, and all of a sudden you listen to both sides of the argument, and you'll swear the two people are on different planets. And uh, you know some uh, some uh, some uh, uh, level of reason needs to be established, and if the thing is going to be resolved or mitigated, uh, that's the time to do it. One of the things that you know I have uh, I have proposed is look uh, uh, we don't make a lawsuit out of this we're talking about five hundred dollars worth of detention why don't you why don't you to us and let's get a mediator why don't we split it why don't we find some way to come to a resolution of what otherwise is uh, is going to be a, an expensive issue uh, anybody that tells you that. Uh, uh, legal recourse is cheap. Uh, is uh, uh, you know is, is probably lying to you. And usually so, the carrier, you know, usually the carrier is from four states away. And now you've got well, it that, in, that was my in a point, warehouse you know, in Phil- Now you got the you got the stuff in storage in Philadelphia, and uh, you don't plan on you don't plan on getting back there for six months. So you've got a, you've got a, a, a trail of problems. And yeah, you know, they can add up to big dollars fast. Yeah, and that's those, that's the that's the situation that a that a, uh, a, a a broker can understand too. But look at it from his his perspective. Uh, the last thing he wants to do is to have a good customer uh, call him on the phone and say, "Hey, look, uh, the carrier I hired has put this thing in storage, and uh, now your load is going to get delivered because." He's going to get uh, an extreme amount of pressure from the consignor too, but uh, you know that's the reason that uh, brokers are the man and the monkey in the middle. They have to negotiate with the shipper because very frequently uh, the shipper is uh, is the one that's going to be crammed down on when the wholesale grocery is the one who says, "Well, uh, we don't care. Uh, we'll just cover cover the load, and the carrier can come back next Tuesday." And uh, you know those kind of high-handed things, they they go on, uh, you know. And I think everybody on this call could probably give us a, an example uh, of that happening, particularly if they're in the, I guess, primarily in the grocery industries where I see it a lot. Thank you. Well, that's all I had. So uh, I'll get off of here. I appreciate what you guys do there. You guys have a good day. Sure. All right, Joe. We appreciate the call. All right, Mr. Deaton, let's jump over to, uh, I'm going to try back the caller that was on the 214 um, area code. See if I can get him on here. 
caller in the 214, are you there? Okay, well, we tried. We tried. We'll go to the caller calling in from the area code 803. Hello? Caller on the 803. Hello? Yes, I'm here. All right, caller, you're on live with Rico and Mr. Seaton. Uh, you, you got a question for Mr. Seaton? Actually, I got more of a question for you. Just a quick one. I don't want to take a, a lot of your time. Um, I live in South Carolina, and I'm trying to figure out what what would I be better off going with. Would I be better off going reefer or flatbed? I don't want to be doing that anymore. I've been doing that for the last seven years. I'm tired of it. You you you, you already answered your own question. You don't want to do flatbed anymore. No, 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 Ravan. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Do, do I do I want to go reefer or do I, do I want to go uh, flatbed? I never done either one. Uh, I mean, there, there, there's pros and cons to either, to either one. It just really depends on what I would advise you to do is, is depending upon what part of South Carolina you're at. You might want to survey the land and see which uh, which shippers of, of what type of commodity is in that area, which may be, um, you know, let the market kind of demand it. You know, if, in your area, if there are more people that ship more of the commodities that they go on a flatbed, I mean, that may, it may want to make you lean more towards a flatbed. But now if there are more um, uh, food producers or, or, or produce things there in your area, uh, of course, with a reefer, you can always go drive in as well. That's the versatility of a, of, of a reefer. So, uh, you know, that's the, but my, my strongest advice would be really survey the land around where you are so that you can be an asset to the marketplace there. And and that way, you know, start building your own direct customer base. And you won't have to deal with some of these nightmares that we're talking about when dealing with brokers. At least it'll 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 cut down on some of it, and and it cuts, takes out the middleman where you can deal directly, uh, directly one on one with the shipper and and build that. Relationship. Yeah, I think yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna lobby in on this one too. Uh, it, it would it would seem to me that uh, uh, you know you're. Your personal preference has has a good bit to do with it. How how long do you want to be out? How far do you, how far do you want to go? Uh, well, if you're in if you're in South Carolina and uh, you know you you value hometown, uh, obviously uh, the ports of Savannah and Charleston are really popping, uh, and uh, there's plenty of freight available there that's pretty much out and back. Uh, I, I hear what Rico's saying, particularly for uh, reefer haulers, where uh, you know uh, you have to follow pumpkin season, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know the, the the fresh produce industry moves to a different location. It's kind of hard to to get in a groove with that. And you know your flatbed. Oh gee, you've got bracing problems, but uh, you know the demand for flatbed, particularly if construction stays good, is very high. But there's uh, has been more. Uh, uh, people have always got to eat; they don't always have to build houses. That's right, right, right. And 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 the other thing, my good friend, uh, uh, you know, uh, George Heck and even Chuck Snow would even advise you of is, hey, get both, get all the get all the segments that you can possibly get. If you know, start out with one and and, and maybe get another one because you know. Flatbeds and reefer are both seasonal, and and when one's going out, one may be coming in, and and if you can do both, more um, th that makes you more of an asset to the community of, of the people that you can service. That's very true. I just, you know I'm trying to get into you know get my own authority and everything. I'm trying to get away from being a, a, a lease driver. I want to have my own business pull out, and I just want to know where you know where to start and 
what 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 I'd be better off starting with as far as trailers go. And I can expand yeah, from that. Right, yeah, but I, I just I would really recommend really um, focusing on, like I say, your surrounding areas. See who's the who's the biggest, you know, not necessarily the biggest because you're not going to be able to compete with the big boys when it comes to the biggest. But look who's shipping out as far as the uh, quantities of shippers that uh, ship on all those different types of equipment types, and, and let that kind of uh, make your be your first decision on which route that you want to go to. Uh, you know, if you can start out getting direct shippers. I think you're going to be far, far ahead of the game than a lot of a lot of people. Uh, we're going to jump right over and go to caller calling in from the eight one seven area code. Caller, are you there? Yes, I'm here. All right, caller. What's your name? Where you calling from? Yes, sir. Yes, what's your name? Where you calling Scott. from? And what's your question? Okay, my name is Scott. Uh, I'm calling from I'm in Washington. I live in, I'm in uh, Texas. I was calling to uh, uh, find out. If uh, it was illegal to buy a DOT operating authority, uh, or, or is, it, is it legal, and what do you have to do to it um, to do that? Uh, well, you can, in fact, uh, buy other people's authority. Uh, uh, with it comes, uh, 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 it's as easy to file for your own as it is really to buy uh, someone's existing authority now. Ultimately, it's going to get more difficult to uh, uh, to file for authority when what they call the URS comes in in, in 2016. But you can uh, you can file for your own authority. The issue really is uh, uh, being uh, new to the industry and getting getting someone to insure you. But the application process uh, costs you a filing fee and. Uh, uh, you know, to be granted in, a, in approximately a, a month uh, to uh, buy someone's authority. You can buy their authority and transfer it to you. But a lot of people have uh, traditionally uh, bought the corporation in which the authority exists. That can be very mm -hmm. perilous because you have to be sure when you buy the corporation, you're buying the liabilities and the assets. Uh, okay. And, uh, okay. and that, that, that requires that that requires uh, some real due diligence. Okay, and if I do do decide to buy authority, uh, what do I need an attorney? Do I need a transportation attorney to drop documents saying that basically liability from this point forward is on me, and liability from this point past is on them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Realistically, you can't buy or sell a business without getting some, some legal help to do it. I mean, okay. you know, you you really can get you could really uh, open yourself up to to a lot of exposure, particularly if you're talking about setting up a corporation and filing for your own authority, which I certainly recommend. You could file for your authority as Billy Bob Jones, but that's not very smart. You need to have a, 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 the protection of a corporation, and that makes they cost you. Uh, as much as you know, a thousand dollars to set up the corporation, and a little less than that to file for the application. So, uh, not uh, uh, prohibitive amounts. But uh, then the question is, uh, uh, based upon uh, you know your experience in the industry and your ability to get uh, to get insurance, uh, you know you're going to have to put some some money down to get your BI and PD insurance. Uh, you know, Rico mentioned, and I certainly agree with it, 
that ultimately you're going to be most uh, 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 most prosperous if you can get your own uh, direct freight. But it's an unfortunate situation, and I guess that the vast majority of the small new carriers are 80 to 80 or greater percent have to rely on the broker industry because it's kind of hard to drive the truck and sell your services at the same time. If you are, are fortunate enough to uh, have a hometown shipper who uh, who will support you or you're in an industry uh, segment of the industry that sends itself to small operators, you may have a leg up. But you're not going to go into a Fortune 500 with the new grant of authority and say, I'm here. And so the FMCSA would have a, a transfer authority document that we need or something like that? You know, transfer it, it's, interesting, it's interesting, yes, they used to have a transfer of authority. The USDOT is on a real rigor right now about what they call a chameleon carrier. Uh, and right. they're very concerned that uh, when they see a transfer coming through, that uh, the acquiring party is not trying to escape a bad safety rating. So, you know, if all of a sudden you go in and say, uh, look, I'm, I'm trying to buy XYZ authority, uh, they're going to want to know who you are, uh, where you come from, I uh, gotta want to be sure that you're not trying to uh, uh, escape the long arm of the law by uh, 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 buying a dormant piece of authority. So you know, for that reason, it's uh, uh, they've got this new process. They say they want you to tell them, even if you're buying the uh, the stock in, a, in an existing company, uh, and there are all kinds of systems out here. The insurance industry has one called CAB which uh, uh, tracks uh, uh, authority and where where the carrier is domiciled and even cross-references where every carrier in the country is domiciled to try to smoke out whether or not you're some bad actor. So, you know, that whole that whole thing is kind of like a, you need to prove you're an honest man to, to, to get it done. And, mm -hmm. you know, for, for a lot of reasons... Uh, you know, for sales purpose reasons, a lot of folks think, "Well, let's get a let's get a, a certificate that's been around for a while." And part of the reason mm -hmm. for that is there are a whole lot of shippers and brokers who'll say, "I'm not going to uh, load a carrier unless he's been around for at least two years." Yep. And then look at your docket number for that. So you know, you may be newly minted uh, with authority. You may have 15 years worth of, uh, of business experience. But if you're a, a, a new carrier, uh, it may be more difficult to sell your service than it is to, mm -hmm. uh, to get uh, get to get a, a, an older certificate. You know, you can look at some of these older certificates and see that the authority has gone dormant and been reinstated. But for somebody who's just uh, looking at an MC number and trying to figure out how old you are, there certainly is a competitive advantage of. Uh, of having an older piece of authority. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's, also, that's also very true of people who are brokers because the, the carrier industry, uh, you know, if you're taking a load off a call board and you see the guy's got a brand new broker number, you first thing you think is, boy, is this guy a crook? 
You can't get a beat on him. Yeah, that, that's true. Right. If it's a sole proprietorship, right. so if it's a proprietorship, you recommend me turn it into a corporation, right? Yeah, that's for liability purposes. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's a litigious world we live in, and if you if you do it, Billy Bob DBA, Billy Bob's trucking, and unfortunately you're involved in a wreck, they're going to take the farm as well as the truck. So the corporation right. gives you some protection there. Okay, so we're going to move on to caller calling in from 941 area code. Caller, what's your name and what's your question? Hey, Rico, this is Kenny Long. How are you? Hey, Kenny, great. Good, good to have you on. That's some good stuff that was on that last caller. I, you know, I do a show on, on Tuesdays now, and we talk about a lot of that stuff. And there's a lot of misconceptions off of that, you know, and that uh, there's not a lot of brokers or shippers out there anymore that worry so much about how old your authority is. I know even those that do, it's usually within a few months or the first year, and there's too many headaches, in my opinion, there's too many headaches trying to take over somebody else's already established number when it's so easy just to set up your own and just weather the first few months and work with who you can. But anyway, I'll get to my question. Uh, going back to the, the layover and accessorials, um, I had an issue yesterday. Um, I actually, we booked the load. We run a steam truck, so we made it very clear that we needed to unload same day. We made sure that it was on the rate confirmation, that it was a direct straight through, and it, it was, you know, there was, our major point was, had to deliver same day, and it was going to deliver in Miami, and the point, the reason being, we wanted to be out of Miami by the, uh, the next morning, up into maybe the Atlanta, Georgia area, so that gave us a whole night as a team to drive up there. So, after pushing and pushing to make sure that all of that was on the rate confirmation, when we got to the, the shipper... And, and we were guaranteed by the broker agent uh, several times that, that it was no problem. When we got to the shipper, we looked, and it, it said that the, uh, we needed to call for an appointment at the receiver. So we had already, the shipper gave us the bill of lading. We had already signed it, and they were uh, already putting the freight in the truck. While they were doing that, we gave a call down to the receiver, and they said that, no, they weren't staying late. There was no way they could unload it, and it would be late over till the next day. So at that point, we called the agent, uh, the broker and said, well, we're going to need layover. And being that it's a team truck and it's in Miami and we're looking at driving all the way out to, to Georgia, we're losing a whole day of income here. And so we started negotiating on what the layover was, and she just got upset and said, uh, no, just get off the property. We're going to put another truck on it. But at that point, like I said, I already had the bill of lading in hand. They were already putting the freight on the truck. Do I have any recourse there? Well, you know, if... If you pull away from the dock, if you've got the if you've got the the, the truck in your in your in your possession and you've got proof that it's uh, that it was guaranteed delivery, you know here here again we've got the, the situation of a whole hijack issue versus one man's liens another man's hijack. Uh, you know you would have been you've been you've, uh, you've been letting it all hang out if you'd taken that team all the way to Miami and said I'm here. Now I'm going to put it in storage. Uh, you know, I think that, I think that you were treated improperly. I think I would have probably turned turned the load back, and it was worth your while. Uh, sued them for a truck order not used. Now, of course, that's another nature of an accessorial that uh, you know some people talk about. Particularly, you know, if you take a, uh, an expedited load to uh, 
dead head 200 miles to pick it up, and then it's canceled, or exactly what you say has occurred. Uh, obviously, uh, uh, you'd accepted the load. She then breached the contract when she pulled the load back. That caused you damages. You you very well could uh, uh, possibly make a uh, a viable lawsuit out of uh, saying, "Well, listen, baby, I'm going to turn your load back to you, but it's uh, I think it's worth my time to sue you for it." Now, you know, at that point, again, I don't want to be litigious, but uh, you have got the ability to get service over that broker uh, in any state uh, and in your home state. And, uh, you know, you might just very well think about uh, uh, making a claim for a truck order not used, calculate the, the cost of time of the team, the number of hours you lost going there and getting it, and turning the load back in, monetizing that, and suing them in a small claims court for your cost and expense. Because you had an agreement to provide a service based upon uh, her representation to you that you could get it on and get it off. She then uh, breached her obligation to get the load on and get it off, told you to get off the lot, and that cost you money. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure where where you are or where the broker is, but uh, uh, if you sue them in, uh, in your home district court, you may have jurisdiction up to 12000 uh, uh in a lot of small small courts. You know, she's got a bond, uh, and uh, at that point, uh, you know, you you certainly, I think, got a, a cause of action if she said, well, uh, uh, she breached the contract when she told you the load was taken away. Because you performed. You were there. You were ready to go. So, uh, right. you know, that is an option. And, uh, you know, yeah, you'd have to monetize it. You tell me that, you know, well, your I team service... Uh, uh, you had you had two men with their clock running. Uh, if you did hit it, uh, you know, uh, uh, 300 miles, you missed another load, I could very easily sleep. Right. But you well, could make out a rival case for a couple of thousand bucks. Right. I did turn the load back in, and uh, and they put another truck on it and everything, and I, and I asked for a reasonable truck order not used at that point, because I never actually pulled away from the dock. I was trying to be as reasonable as I could, I, you know, and I... I knew that I could kind of not hostage the load, but, you know, I knew I had some, some leverage there. So, anyway, um, I may uh, take it as far as going ahead and invoicing it, and if they don't pay, at least just get a strongly worded letter from an attorney and see if that helps. But I don't think it's worth taking it much past that. So, But uh, I had one other quick question, um, and it has to do with intrastate authority. And I actually called your office about this, and I've called a couple other places trying to get some straight answers. And what... What state require, you know, if you pick up within one state and deliver in that same state, what states require you to, to register with that? Because I've heard New Jersey will impound the truck. Uh, I know Illinois and Texas no, have to have an actual no, number No, for no, that. no, the deal is, the deal is, uh, you've, got, you've got two issues here, okay? Uh, there used to be, uh, we use the term intrastate authority. Uh, when we go back to, uh, prior to 1980, there was the idea that you had, each state had a public service commission, and they issued authority like from uh, Camden, New Jersey, to Newark, New Jersey, and only a limited number of people had it. 
and you had to go file an application like you do with the FMCSA, you had to prove public convenience and necessity. That doesn't exist anymore. Uh, the, the states, with the exception, I think, maybe tow service and maybe uh, uh, some bus service, they don't regulate. You don't have to have intra-state authority in any state. But every state's got their hand out for tax money, and that's right. a different issue. Now, in New Jersey, uh, New Jersey is broke. New Jersey takes the attitude that you need to get registered with the Secretary of State for the privilege of doing business in New Jersey. It's not because you're a trucker. It's not because you've got to have authority to operate there. It's because they say that to the extent you're making pickups and deliveries in New Jersey, you're subject to New Jersey tax laws. And... So, uh, you know, it, it, it ends up, from your point of view, being the same thing. There are a number of states that uh, tax out-of-state truckers. Uh, Pennsylvania got the whole issue started, I guess, years ago when they said, if you have a nexus with Pennsylvania, nexus means a connection, and they said, you know, if you deliver mm, 8 to 12 loads in Pennsylvania a year or something, you've got to pay the Pennsylvania tax. Well, uh, New Jersey said, hey, we can do that too, but rather than try to find out who the carriers were and send them uh, a, a bill, uh, they just told their police force, hey, you know, you see some poor out-of-trucker, out-of-state trucker uh, stopped at a truck stop, uh, just go knock on his door and ask to see that he's paid the New Jersey tax, and if he hadn't, just impound the truck, and uh, uh, we'll make him pay a whole bunch to get out of New Jersey. And that practice has been going on, I guess, for the better part of 10 years now, and it's been pretty hit or miss. Uh, I was asked by a, uh, a, an association of small trucking companies to try to see if I could intercede, and I called the people up in New Jersey, and I said, look... Don't you realize this is anti-competitive? These people only hear it once every blue moon. They don't have any nexus with the state of New Jersey. Why should they have to pay a Jersey tax? I said, you're going to run people out of New Jersey. You're not going to want to deliver here. And the guy at the end of the phone just kind of laughed, and he said, we're at the crossroads of America. People always deliver here. We're broke. They need to pay. And so there there was no... Uh, 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 no slip in New Jersey in terms of the, the practice they've got, and uh, there are a number of states that, that do that, and I think a lot of small carriers pretty much uh, ignore, it, ignore it, but it's a state tax issue rather than a transportation issue. Uh, Where can I find the, uh, just a list of states or, or the requirements for what states, because I don't ever want to get caught with my pants down, so... But I don't really know where to where to look at all these different states. It's not I haven't. That's why I'm coming up short. I'm I'm having a hard time finding those details. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't I don't know who you talk to uh, in in my in my office, but I would have referred you to uh, Richard Bell. B E L L. Richard is a uh, represents multi-state carriers, and he is a accountant in Little Rock. It's called Bell and Company. And uh, he would be helping 
you know, large multi-state carriers file their tax returns. And I imagine his office could give you a list of states and and the, and the various taxing requirements of the state. It's really uh, it, it's really more of an accounting issue than it is a transportation law issue. But uh, you know, uh, you could put, you uh, you can certainly call someone in Richard's office and, and okay. ask them for ask them for assistance. Okay. Thank you very much. Great talking to you, Rico. And uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Seaton. Bye. Sure. Thanks. Thanks, Jimmy. Uh, we got about mm, got about seven minutes, a little over seven minutes left in the show, Mr. Seaton. We got quite a few callers. Uh, about about one, two, three, four, five. We got about six people got questions. Um, the show may end, but Miss Seaton, would you mind sticking around and answering these questions? We're going to cut it off after these seven. I think we got seven. Sure, that'll be fine. Up. All right, so let's see here. Let's go back to caller calling in from 623 area code. Caller from the 623, what's your name and how can we help? I was wanting to know. Uh, Hello, caller. Hello? Yeah, call hard. You came back in. You were breaking up there for a second. Oh, man. Looks like we, I'm, I'm going to put you back on hold. I'll come back to you, see if we can see that line to clear up. I'll put you back on hold. I'll come right back to you. We're going to go to caller from the 260. Caller calling in from the 260 area code. What's your name and how can we help? Hello, caller. Pick out that job back there. Thank you. Uh oh. All right, callers, calling in from the 260. Area code 260223. You're on live. All right, we'll put that one back on hold. Let's try and see if. Uh, 623 area code. See if he got his line cleared up. Call you 623 area code. You're on with Rico and Harry Seaton. Uh, no. Uh, yeah, we're not. That line is not clearing up just yet. I hate to do it to you. See if you can get back in, caller from the 623. You got a, we're got a bad sale going on on that one. Um, Let's try a caller calling in from the 419. Caller from the 419, you're on live with Rico and Harry Seaton. I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes. We can hear you loud and clear. You're loud and clear. All right. This is Pete, and I'm calling from Toledo, Ohio. I just got a couple of questions for you. The first one, I see a lot on the Facebook, uh, the different groups, a lot of broker bashing or carrier bashing, shipper bashing. Does someone open themselves up to a liability by doing that, by damaging someone's reputation? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, they're liable in slander laws. You can't say anything that's knowingly false. Uh, if it's if it's intended to, to defame somebody. Uh, uh, unfortunately, people are are able to uh, uh, offer offer their opinion, uh, and, uh, you know, hopefully folks will consider the source. Uh, 
and it, 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 it becomes very difficult to be actionable. Uh, and, uh, you know, we have, you hear all the time these days about people who say, well, uh, everybody is, uh, is listed on the Internet, and, it, uh, you know, if you, if you do much in life, you're going to have both detractors and, and supporters and uh, even people who try to help you clean up your Internet reputation. Uh, so I think some of that just kind of kind of goes uh, uh, goes with the topics, but uh, uh, you know, particularly if you uh, uh, you know you allege the person has committed a crime or done something such as that, and it's knowingly false, it's actionable. But you know, there are they have uh, some larger clients that always have a disgruntled owner operator who's out here saying something. Uh, Uncoured about them, and you know it. it uh, uh, usually, it's just uh, uh, they can have a very good reputation with the ninety-nine percent of their uh, owner operators, and then all of a sudden you've got uh, one guy that just that just won't seem to leave them alone. Uh, and I don't know, I don't know how, I don't know how, I don't know how to tell you uh, to effectively deal with it. I'm just I'm just, I'm just curious because I see it from afar and I'm just thinking, wow! I never thought that was something that you did, but I mean, some do. My other question that to piggyback on Kenny Long, and I've had this happen, and I've been on both sides of the desk where one guy books a load and he's telling you, yeah, 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 they're open. Well, he doesn't know he didn't set the load up, so the guy who mm-hmm. set the load up put in the confirmation, hey, you have to schedule an appointment. So then you get the confirmation, and the verbal that happened previous does not match the written that you received after. But, you know, I sign it, I send it back. At which point, I mean, what wins? I mean, I would assume that the written that ha- happened after wins, or is it the verbal that happened before? I mean, the way you were uh, answering his question, you were kind of going with the verbal rather than the written that happened after the verbal. Well, but you see, what happened is, in his case, the verbal was the condition preceding. He wouldn't have showed up. If I understood his question. He wouldn't have showed up at the dock if he had known right. that he uh, that he had to set the appointment. The other thing right. about it is, remember this: uh, whenever you rely on someone's verbal representation, you're just setting yourself up for a liar's contest. Uh, if you've got a load confirmation sheet or something in writing uh, prior to accepting it, you know, when you accept it and send it back, uh, if the guy has made a verbal to you that the load delivers, uh, uh, you know, uh, Monday afternoon at 2 o'clock, put on the uh, load confirmation sheet, uh, delivery time uh, must deliver uh Monday by close so that you have got something in writing that's confirmed before you go booking across country to pick up a load that uh, your delivery time is established. So I mean in Mr. that Seaton, regard I'm a, Ms. Seaton, uh, hey Miss Seaton, I'm gonna yeah. jump in just really quick I'll let you finish your point. But uh we're getting ready to wrap up on the show but I wanted to make sure that on the recording that everyone knew that they could go to your website, transportationlaw.net and find a wealth of information there available. Please go pick up Mr. Seaton's book, uh, Protecting Motor Carriers' Interest in Contract. It's available online. You can order the book online. Um, and if you have any questions for Mr. Seaton himself 
or his office, if they can help you out, uh, just go to that website, transportationlaw.net, a way of contacting them. And uh, we appreciate Mr. Steven for coming on and spending some time with us here on the Rakes and Lanes podcast. And with that said, Mr. Steven, the um, show is wrapping up. We've got six seconds. I just wanted to make sure I got that plug in for you on the recorded session. Thank you, much. And I'm going to go. You want me to stay around for a while? I will. Yes, sir. I'm going to go back to the call that we had on 419. I'm going to bring him back up live and make and let you finish the point what he was uh, asking. Call, are you there? Yes, sir. All right. Yeah, yeah, I just wanted to go ahead and wrap that wrap that little piece of business before we got off the air. I, I think we got it. I 100 percent agree with uh, with the, with Mr. Seaton as far as always, always, always get it in writing. It's a lot of times it seems like so many people are trying to move so fast that they don't they don't want to slow down long enough to do it. But I'm with you. It's uh, I'm with you. Always make sure you get it in writing. When I was listening to his call, I was under the impression that on the confirmation as he read it, it said to be scheduled. And that's why I was kind of curious you know, that he, 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 he you know, had what, the confirmation. What, what happened with, what happened was with Kenny's situation was they, they got to the shipper before they even received the rate confirmation based off of the verbal communication that they had already negotiated with the broker. And the reason that they got gotcha. to the shipper, gotcha. the reason that, and the reason they got to the shipper before they got the rate confirmation, which is normally a no-no, was they were only two miles away from the shipper. So they were like right around the corner, literally. <laughs> so they 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 didn't have a whole lot in, invested. Uh, the uh, the uh, the other thing is, uh, uh, and I think the caller would agree with me on this: the bill of lading terms and conditions will trump whatever cost was agreed to. You know, if you thought you were going to pick up a load of sand uh, and you didn't get a release rate, you go over there and pick it up. And you see all of a sudden that it's computers. Uh, you better think twice before you go booking down the road with it, because it's probably got a half a million dollars worth of value. Unless you've limited your release rate, you're going to be on the hook if it's stolen. So the bill of lading will trump whatever uh, the low confirmation sheet said in terms of the commodity or the transit time. I've had clients that were not hazmat carriers who went and picked up a load and the hazmat block was checked and life spiraled downhill from there. And I don't want to take up anybody wow. else's time, but as you're saying that out loud, I wonder if uh, on a bill lading it says payment terms are 90 days, but the shipper agreed to 15. Does the bill lading, even though you know you, you may not read the back, does that still win? Uh you know, the the question of what's on the backside of a bill of lading uh, is a is 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 a real predicament. Uh, I tell my clients to put in their service terms and conditions that the terms and conditions of the uniform bill of lading apply, and that uh, uh, the driver signs a non-conforming bill is uh, evidence of receipt only. Because, uh, you know, your truck driver is not a lawyer and is not supposed to read the backside of a bill. Uh, the law is that a written bilateral contract uh, usually has an integration clause in it. If you look at it, uh, it'll say that this written contract is all the terms and conditions between the parties and can't be modified in the absence of a signed written exception. And the reason that the shipper and broker put that in the contract is because they don't want the carrier coming in and 
trying to limit his liability uh, with a relief rate on a bill. But that, that cuts both ways. Uh, what I'm saying is in terms of the the receipt for the good, the commodity, uh, that the, the bill of lading is a contract between the shipper and the carrier. And I don't think it's necessarily going to trump payment terms and things such as that. But I, I do have instances in which... Uh, uh, the home office didn't have a clue uh, what was actually on the truck until uh, the accident happened. Uh, and then they were bound by uh, certainly the description and the count that the driver signs for. I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, caller. All right. Let's see. Uh, going to jump over and see if the caller from 623 got back in with us. Want to try to see if we can... We got his line cleared up. Caller from the 623. You're on live. Are you there? Yes. Can you hear me now? Is that any better? Yeah. Yes, sir. You're coming in a lot better. Awesome. Hey, thanks for taking my call. This is Rusty. I'm calling in from uh, Seattle, Seattle, but I'm actually based out of Phoenix, Arizona. And I want to know if um, I'm considering buying trucks and um, bringing them back home to my home state. But I'm only single state plated. What liabilities do I open myself up for in buying trucks out of state? And what's acceptable for payment other than cash money that will not hold me up once I get out of state that I'm going to have to wait three or five or ten days or whatever for cash to clear? Think about buying trucks out of state? Yes, but you're but a single state operator? That's correct. Well, if you're buying, and you're getting a little bit out of my wheel horse here, but if you're buying the truck, and uh, uh, you know, I don't know whether you get a whether you get a driveaway tag, you're gonna come home and tag it in Arizona, right? Yeah, I'm gonna tag it in Arizona. Yeah, but I mean, I'm, I mean, do I have to get a, a New Mexico state permit and all that kind of stuff if I'm just coming across the state one time? And, you know, if I come across from Texas or wherever else, I have my, my DOT numbers and all that, since they're they're written out on a single state, it's found on the multi-state deal. No, you're not pulling a load. Well, I, I mean, I guess, it, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're, uh, if you're bobtailing and you're not transporting something for hire, uh, uh, and again, I'm not, I'm not really very confident in this, but, uh, uh, you know, when I was in when I was in college, I worked for a uh, 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 a, a dealer, uh, and uh, we would slip a, uh, a a dealer tag on on trucks and take them from Tennessee to right. Georgia to deliver them to customers. And uh, you know, we never we never thought we never thought anything else about it uh, because uh, you know the the title was in the. Uh, you know, we had the, ne the necessary documents of title uh, to show it was basically private conveyance. Uh, right. And uh, that, yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't run into any problem there. Now, whether that's uh, uh, we're, we're going back uh, forty years now, whether that has any relevance to your question, somebody else needs to answer. But uh, you know, it seems to me as though. Uh, uh, Damn shame not to not to bring the truck into uh, Arizona under load if you bring it from Washington State, and at that point, uh, you know you may very well uh, 
uh, be able to either put it on the rail or, uh, or you know, get some drive-away service to, to bring it to you because, uh, 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 you know, it's a lot of empty miles. And then what about payment? I mean, if I bring them a cashier's check, are those foolproof or they're scan cashier's checks that people are taking nowadays? But what, what forms of payment do I have to deal with with paying for something? What? That, that I can get released, the people will actually hand me the keys and the title and I can go right away instead of having to wait in three or five days. I mean, normally well, if you're going I to mean, obviously, like, a bank obviously wire. you can do a bank wire. Yeah, obviously you can do a bank wire. Okay. I mean, you know, you can you can go any you can go anywhere you can go anywhere in the you know, I can get routing instructions and wire money anywhere uh bank to bank uh during ordinary business hours, and it'll be there in two hours. So okay. you know, uh, you don't have to use ComCheck to do that. If you got if you got a substantial amount, you just get your bank to wire it to the uh, to the vendor, and okay. you know you right. can sit in his lobby until the money clears. Yeah, most of these are Craigslist deals and stuff like that. I'm buying smaller smaller number of dollar stuff, but private party purchases a lot of times though. So, either either a wire or I mean, are there anything else in the cashier's check? Will that work or are those? Are those I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, you cashier's check will work, but you'll have to you'll have to you'll have to physically carry you you have to physically carry it up there. I mean, you know, the the ultimately the 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 bank wire is seems to me to be the simplest way to to do a transaction that you know you got a couple of zeros in. Right. Right, and we got two more callers this evening. We're gonna wrap it up. Caller calling in from the nine four zero area code. Caller, you're on live. We go on the street. Thank you very much. Can you hear me? Sure, yes, sir. You're coming in clear. Thank you. Uh, going back to an authority question, I've been running a DOT authority with one truck for ten years. Now I have six owner-operators who want to lease on. I'm getting conflicting advice, some are saying lease them on on your current authority, others saying for liability purposes, uh, purchase an existing authority and keep them on a that authority separate from your own authority. What are your thoughts on this issue? Well, you have both DOT and an MC number. You're hauling regulated freight. Yes, that's correct. And that's all held in an S corp for the last ten years. Well, I think I understand where the uh, where your advice is coming from, uh, particularly with owner operators uh, um, and the way the government is working its SMS uh, program. Uh, if you have six owner operators and you're a small carrier, you can have one bad owner operator who uh, uh, doesn't log right or, or uh, uh, gets his maintenance messed up and gets stopped at a scale. And very quickly, you can get a bad safety rep. And I think what they're telling you is uh, as long as you have your own corporation, you drive your own truck, you're probably going to fly below the radar, and if you get into safety trouble, it's going to be your own fault. And that if you, uh, for that reason, 
setting up a separate company that you own, you that company will be solely responsible for the safe operation of those six owner operators. But uh, uh, one of them can't go renegade and uh, and ruin uh, your safety reputation that you've taken ten years to build. So you know, can I see a reason that says, yeah? You're not a chameleon carrier if you go and set up uh, a, a, a separate owner-operator division. Uh, you'll just have to keep two sets of books and uh, two safety records and all of that. But uh, everybody, it seems, is so concerned about safety ratings and shippers are looking at it and all those kinds of things that uh, uh, I can see why they would recommend it. Of course, if you've got 10 years' experience, uh, and, and a good safety rating, uh, your shippers are going to be, uh, you're going to be a far more attractive candidate than a, than, 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 than uh, a, a, new, a new applicant for the reasons we talked about. But, you know, you'll have to assess the risk. I would think that also in terms of insurance premiums and those things, if you've got, uh, you know, a longevity of, uh, of 10 years of uh, successful driving, you're going to be able to expand your insurance to add to new people more easily than you're going to be able to go pay a premium for a new company. You'll just have to you'll just have to look at the uh, at the at the pros and cons of that. In any event, the safety has become a very competitive issue, and I think that's why you've gotten the advice you have. Excellent. I appreciate your answer. Before I go, could you please repeat your website so I can follow up with you? Yeah, it's called transportationlawwrittentogether.net. Got it. Thank you very much. I appreciate you taking the time. Sure. All right. Let's see here. Let me get back over. I think we got one more caller left. And that caller is calling in from the area code 207. Caller from the 207, you're on live. Can you hear you? Yes, hi, Rico. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I have a legal question. Me and uh, another guy started our authority. And we ran that for a year together, and then I broke off and started another one, and we split off. Uh, how much does it cost, or is it a long process to keep me completely disassociated with the first authority? How much does it cost to keep get you completely dis, uh, uh, disassociated with the first authority? Uh, yeah, is your name in is, is your name in, yeah, the, in, the, in the corporation? Yeah, it was an LLC. And we were both listed there as owners. And um, I'm just being told that tax reasons, or let's say he starts some kind of fancy scheme or whatever, I would still be liable because I'm, I'm listed as an owner. Is that something that any of you have ever heard of? Cause well, you know, obviously the LLC has a protection. You and he are uh, are protected by the corporate veil, but if you are no longer an owner, uh, did, did when you left, did you have uh, uh, any kind of, of corporate stock or 
or board resolution or any kind of evidence of dissolution of the of the ownership interest? No. Okay. Did he did he buy you out or did he just quit or what happened? We just split on mutual agreement. Somebody told me for tax reasons. Let's say he gets in trouble with the tax. That they're they're gonna they're gonna come after me for money. Uh oh, you you breaking up too, caller? Yeah, I you know I you got an interesting you got an interesting question. I mean, I I would have uh you know more of a concern if you were a partnership than you you having been an LLC. Uh, uh, I would I think what I would do is go to the state of incorporation and ask the Secretary of State uh what he shows uh as uh, as the uh shareholders or directors or the incorporator or whatever is on the Secretary of State record. And if your name is still on the Secretary of State record, then I think it's worth your while to get off. Okay. Uh, and you can require you can require your uh, former partner uh, to remove you uh, from uh, from the Secretary of State record, and uh, I think that will go a long way. Now, in terms of tax returns and those things, I think that the, the person who is making the signature and and validating them is true is the other guy, not you. I mean, you're certainly not. Signing the tax returns, so uh, I'm not too, I'm not too concerned about fraud. Now you know if you are in uh, an LLC uh, for tax purposes, he is required to file uh, an annual report and to send to uh, anyone who has an ownership share K one. So you know if you've been away from the company for a couple of years and you haven't gotten the K one. That he's certainly not representing to the IRS that you're a shareholder. Oh, well, that's good news. I've been a little worried about that, but that makes me feel a little. Yeah, better. I mean, you know, it's kind of like it, it, it's uh, every every year, you know, for the LLCs that uh, you know I'm involved with the uh, the beneficiaries. You know, in an LLC, you've uh, you've got uh, one person is basically the trustee. He's the administrator. For the for the beneficiary, so you can have you know you can have four kids in an LLC and they're passive. All they're doing is getting the incomes and liabilities on their personal returns. Yeah. Uh, so they're not actively involved in the in the business, but every year uh, they're getting a copy of a K one for their tax purposes, and it either shows the company made money or lost money, and then they've got to turn around and put. That K one attached to their personal returns. So if he's not sending you a K one, then as far as Uncle Sam's concerned, you're not. It's, it's kind of like you know what happens if, uh, let's say you had a uh, hundred shares of GE stock, and you sold it last year. Well, <laughs> GE would show you are no longer a shareholder, but at the end of the year, you wouldn't get a dividend statement from GE either. Yeah. Okay. So it's kind of the same thing with an LLC, although it's closely held. 
So, uh, you know, I think uh, I think in terms of being uh, 6-2 and even with Uncle Sam and the state law, if he's not sending you returns, uh, 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 you know, uh, you're probably not being held accountable. Uh, and, I mean, I can't really... I can't really see uh, uh, what he would have to gain by showing you on a tax return. Was yeah. he the was he the one that was filing as the uh, uh, as the uh, uh, key man? Was he he filing as the uh, uh, administrator of the LLC? No, no we did it. We kind of made we kind of made sure that it was pretty equal. So it was like a dual ownership there. Well, did you have an accountant? No. Okay. Well, you know, it's kind of flaky to have an LLC or a corporation that doesn't have an accountant help you put together the tax returns. Uh, you know, it may be it may be when you check with the Secretary of State, you even see the doggone thing dormant because he's let it lapse. Yeah, yeah, and it is. Okay, well, that I'm going to follow up with the Secretary of State, like you said, and. That answers my question there. I appreciate you taking time there. Okay. Enrico, sure. thanks for fitting me in. Oh, no problem. We want. I just want to try to make sure that everybody, by a certain time, if you were in the queue, we wanted to make sure we try to get everybody's question answered. And we, just, uh, thanks to Mr. Seaton sticking around, we definitely got a chance to do that. So, uh, Mr. Seaton, once again, we'd like to extend our gratitude and thanks for coming on and uh, on board with sure. us and spending some time with us this month. Uh, we look forward. We we always get a lot of responses and uh, calls about when is Mr. Seaton coming back on, so we definitely look forward to your sessions when you do come on board with us. Um, anything okay. would you like to say in wrapping up? Nope, nope. I think I, I think that, uh, that gets it covered. I'll look forward to talking to you next month. Yes, sir. We appreciate it again. Thanks again. Thanks, everybody, for okay. calling me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on Rates and Lanes. If you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and review on iTunes or listen to our other shows at audioroad.letstruck.com. To get in touch with our tribe, call us at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Thanks for joining us for the ride down the audio road.